Welcome to Larry Reeney's America. Uh, my special guest today is George Herringer. Uh, George and his wife Peyton own the Sherman in Batesville, Indiana, which is uh, just an excellent restaurant, hotel, beer garden, beer hall. And without further ado, let me introduce you to uh, George. George, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Larry, for inviting me. It's an honor of you having me. Uh, good morning, Batesville. Good morning, Indiana. God bless the USA. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, George, let's start off with uh, uh, where you were born, grade school, high school, after high school, if you went to college or your first job. So uh, where were you born, George? I was born in Germany, a small town called Butchlow City in Bavaria which is where I spent actually 40 years of my life and I uh, was raised and I raised my family there. And um, yeah, that's, uh, I went to a uh, local school. My father was director of that school. And, uh, well, that made it nice. That was, that was for four years. <laughs> so uh, what the small town that you were living in what was it close to something like Berlin or Munich or anything? It is about 65 miles from Munich. Okay, uh, did go to Oktoberfest in Munich a couple times. So, I'm, I'm sure you participate in Oktoberfest in Munich, absolutely. I just <laughs> never remember how I got home. <laughs> so, you say uh, you lived there 40 years. So uh, after high school, did you go to college or did you just get, start working? So we call it higher education there. In fifth grade, you'd start a, a degree that is called gymnasium. Gymnasium, it's a different word for a college type of okay. pre-degree. And then after that, I went to engineering uh, college also in our region there, uh, which was a town in Kempton. That high school just got formed there two, three years before I uh, signed up there. And uh, yeah, there I finished my degree for electrical engineering. And um, wow. And then I found my first work job just in the vicinity of a uh, machine factory similar to Batesville Tool and Die. They made clutchings. So that's where I worked the first couple of years of my okay. career. So you worked there for a few years, and then your next and job? And then my next job took me to a computer company that was designing computer chips. Uh, you may have heard of Diamond Multimedia. They brought out the Rio player back in 95, oh, really? 96. So a company that bought actually our tech in Germany, our tech company, it was Diamond Multimedia and... Uh, yeah, that's been my second step in my career. And then my third job was at a biotech company in Munich. So I've been moving around a little bit, but I've always been in the vicinity of our beautiful Algoi. They call it, we call it Algoi. It's it's an area where people go for vacation to restore themselves. And we say we go into the blue. Yeah, I know blue has a different meaning in American mm -hmm. in English language, but it's because of the blue. Uh, we 
bonnets that are growing there all over the place. That's why people started saying, going there into the blue. And there's so many lakes, so many vacation spots. It's just beautiful there. So uh, did you get a lot of tourists? No. And there is a touristy area, absolutely. It is close to the uh, castle, Neuschwanstein. Okay, I'm not familiar with that. The Disney castle that is uh, designed after the, this existing castle. Oh, okay. King Ludwig has built in the 1900s. Okay, that's interesting. That's, uh, you know, uh, some of the products from Germany, when I was in the Canal Zone, a, a friend of mine, career man in the army, uh, he uh, got married in Germany. His wife, uh, wife's name was Frida, and uh, I believe she was uh, right. She was from Munich, and uh, we'd go. You know, I was single, so I lived in the barracks, and uh, he and his wife he had quarters. Uh, not on Fort Gulick, but at Cocosola, which was a naval base, and they were right on an inland waterway. And he had the most beautiful Grundig record player that the sound was unbelievable. And uh, they every place that they moved in the Army, the Grundig actually went with them. And, I mean, it was just... Uh, sensational piece of equipment well it would have been Grundig would have been a company that i would wanted to work for and actually my uncle was one of the directors at Grundig. oh really he has designed those vcr recorders the first recorders for video back in the days wow and uh unfortunately he passed away right before i started my college degree and uh at 60 some and uh, he had a, just a heart attack and from one day to another wow. so, but Grundig yeah they had really a technology and it was a better technology but VHS has taken over there because it was cheaper to produce yeah for video recording well we we still we have a Grundig weather radio <laughs> it's I mean I I, I you know it wasn't just the sound, but the, I, I think it was walnut wood that he had in the, uh, his uh, Grundig record player. And the the wood was just amazing. I, I never will forget that. So it's, uh, but anyway, so after the biotech, where did you go? Well, um, I still, you know, I came over here. Peyton and I, we got married. Uh, and she found... No, wait, you married Peyton in the States. In or, Germany. Right. We got married in Germany. Oh, you got married in Germany. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What, uh, how long was she in Germany? Well, she's been in Germany seven years. We met around 1999. And, uh, yeah, in 2004, we got married. Yeah, but she's originally from Texas, right? Uh, yes, she's from yeah, Fort yeah. Worth, Texas, so she's a real cowgirl. <laughs> well, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> and she's done barrel racing, so... Oh, really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And her sister is actually racing horses, and uh, quarter horses, and 
Wow. Still, still to this day, is uh, having that forum with the horses. Okay, so you got married in Germany. Okay, and where were you working at that time when you got? Well, that was that was that biotech. Biotech. Okay. And did you stay there until you came to the States, or how did that work? So I did send her off to her new job, and uh, I was planning to follow, but the company I was working for, you know, I couldn't leave them just high and dry, right. so I was working to get uh, one of my employees transitioned to take the functions, and uh, it took maybe, uh, roughly a year, and I've still come, I, was, I would go to come to the U.S. and look for housing, look for stuff we want to do here and uh, go back to work a couple of weeks or months and then come back over. And then finally we settled in Virginia in a town called uh, Gainesville that is right by Manassas. Okay. Where the battlefields are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, down there I didn't find a job for the longest time. And the recruiters, because they... Do not really understand the industry setting there fully. They would not tell me that any job in that area around DC, and it's a massive, massive area, requires a security clearance because most of everything is government or right. defense industries. I did not understand that at the time when I got there. And so it was quite a learning curve to figure out that security clearance prevented me from getting interviews it was just strange you know I, wow um i thought well holy macaroni what am i yeah. gonna do now yeah. <laughs> but then i found this job and i can't believe of all jobs it wasn't one of the three-letter offices not the well-known ones but uh still the architect of the capital mm -hmm. hired me and uh well in there i did uh, my uh I have switched my, you know, my expertise to networking and storage over those years, and as I became the storage um, engineering uh, person there, and uh, included is the networking there. So I've been crawling around all all around the capital, uh, uh, catacombs and basements and everywhere, and uh, it it was just incredible that 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 uh, that job did not require any security clearance that's great when while you were in virginia did you um uh did you ever visit williamsburg we certainly visited williamsburg oh that's one of our favorite vacations was going to williamsburg and uh it's been a while but yeah it's beautiful uh, george, yeah. george washington's house oh. i believe we, well, we, you know, we toured all the battlefields and where Cornwallis surrendered. But the funny thing, uh, a friend of mine, a customer, his wife had a travel service, and uh, she got us booked at the Williamsburg Inn, and we we knew nothing about Williamsburg. So when we were checking in, I think it was about two or three o'clock in the afternoon and you we saw women with hats on drinking tea and i told nancy i said i i don't think i'm cut out to be here <laughs> I, said, I said if they don't have any beer or whiskey i'm out of here <laughs> 
So, but it turned out this was really a, a great place to stay. It had a wonderful dining room. And I think, I think we stayed there for about a week. And it, it was just phenomenal. I, I, I loved it. But how far, when, uh, how far were you from Williamsburg? It's roughly two hours. I two hours. That's not bad. Yeah, it was just a day trip for us. Well, and Virginia's a beautiful drive going through them. So you, you go through mountains, you go through everything. It's just a great yeah. place. So how long did you stay in Virginia? Well, we stayed in Virginia till 2013, and uh, that's when my new work took me to Dallas, Texas. And, um, you know, it was, uh, I was working for Verizon, and they, they didn't care if I work in D.C. area or if I work down in Dallas. So since her family was down there, we decided to move, and I mm -hmm. started working there right at the Dallas Fort Worth Airport, they had their location. A lot of traffic. <laughs> there, there is a lot of traffic, but their their roads are a little bit wider than two twenty nine. We we were we went through Dallas. Uh, we had to go to a wedding in uh, Houston, and uh, we also had a wedding to go to at. Uh, uh, you know, right, right by Texas A&M College Station, Texas, which is neat. But I couldn't believe the highways that they had in Dallas. I mean, the number of lanes were phenomenal. Everything moves. It moved very quickly uh, because there were so many lanes on the one interstate that we were on. If someone hit a wreck, it wouldn't make any difference because you just shift over to my, I think at highways, I think with five lanes. Well, have you been down there lately? No, no. They have been building in the, in the massive city areas. They have been building uh, those mix masters, like five or six layers of line going oh. on top of each other, 150, 200 feet high. It's, it, oh, wow. It is just, and traffic is going and. Where we uh, have our current uh, house still down there in Grapevine, that lane around the airport, that, that highway has like six lanes because two or three highways are splitting off a little bit outside of us. That's, I mean, it's amazing. And, you know, the the thing is when uh, I, I hate driving in Cincinnati on I-75 because when they built 75, there, there just there wasn't traffic that there is today. There wasn't the automobile zone. I mean, uh, when when uh, Nancy and I got married, there there weren't many two car families, and now there's four and five car families with teenagers and everything. Uh, and this I seventy five, I think they. I think they finished that in the early 50s or late, late, you know, early 50s, I believe. And it, it just can't handle the traffic, especially the trucks. Well, we just drove there yesterday, and right out of the blue is there a stop up right between the city center and uh, 275. I don't know, reason, just too much traffic. Yeah, it's, it, it just, 
And, and the thing is, I, I don't know what they can do about it, you know, because there is so much traffic on 75, head, north and south. They can't do any real widening or anything because it would be such a nightmare, especially for the truckers, because uh, Cincinnati is kind of like um, 500 miles in all directions of 70 per, or 65 or 70 percent of the country's population. So it's they, you just can't stop it. And there's a lot of industry in Cincinnati. So when you were when you were in for well, you moved to Texas, okay. Now, how long did you stay working, and when did you and Peyton decide uh, a restaurant would be a business that they wanted to do? Well, it is a funky story. So we did actually invest in a hotel in 2012 in Indianapolis. When in, in, when Indianapolis? And, yeah, we never lived there, but we owned that hotel in Indianapolis. Really? Where at? And it's uh, right on the Route 31, Thompson Street. Okay. Um, there's a travel lodge. There is a uh, there is a Red Lobster right next door. Okay. It's a hotel. They people tell me I haven't seen the movie. People reminded of The Shining. So that's oh, the type of hotel. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> For younger people that haven't seen that, that was uh, one of Jack Nicholson's insane <laughs> acting roles. That he was uh, he was just a nut in that one. So, so what? So what? How did you go from Texas to Indianapolis? What what possessed you to do that? Well, we didn't really do that. We invested in that property in 2012 so we were still in the washington area so but we went into that business with i well, who was running that for you with, with my former boss and he was oh. he was running that and um well it came to be that we had to just take over and we bought him out and then we were in indianapolis uh, Managing the place, but we didn't really live there. So okay. We okay. just went there two, three weeks. Peyton did. I was working, you know, my regular job. Peyton did go up there two, three weeks in the time and, and managed the place there. Renovated that place, brought it back to life, and then we put it back on the market. And during that time, well, we heard of the Sherman House. Okay. Well, so you eventually sold the hotel. In Indianapolis. Exactly. So we sold that off and uh, we started renovating. Well, we started planning on on uh, the Sherman 2015, but there was a few little obstacles. So we finally bought it in 2016. And that's when we started full stop renovating the Sherman house. And it really needed... Oh. Tender, love, tender, and care. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, uh, Doug Bessler, previous owner, fr good friend of mine. All right. And in fact, uh, Doug's property butts into our property. Oh, okay. Down there. And uh, uh, 
We, in fact, uh, me and two of the boys, we just timbered some property a couple years ago. And fortunately, Doug had timbered, cut some, had some trees cut down on his property, and he had a nice path right to uh, the road behind us to load the logs, and he was kind enough to let us uh, let the people who did our timbering take the logs through there and not mess up anybody's front yard because I've had that happen before. So uh, That's awfully nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. And, you know, the funny thing is when I know when Doug was one of the original founders of Batesville Tool and Die, and when when he left Tool and Die, I mean, he didn't have to work or anything, but very civic-minded guy, took on the Sherman. Uh, that was still called the Sherman House, and he uh, put 10 years in, and I can't remember. We were talking one evening at the Sherman, and Doug says, you know, I'm tired. I'm going to give this a year. And he said, if, if I don't sell it, I'm going to close it. I said, what? He said, I'm, he said, I'm tired. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Ten years is going to be long enough. And when he hit ten years, that's what he did. He closed it. It is a very taxing job to run this. Yeah. Place. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, it's a night and day, and uh, and, and you know, it's. Uh, I, I'm. I mean, the the young kids. They don't even. They don't want to flip burgers at McDonald's, or you know, I don't know what's going on with the kids today. Well, it's, that is a that is just a story of these. Times, I believe it is just something that um, time will have to show if they eventually turn around from their phones and think, okay, somebody, there is something I can do to help this population to turn around and, you know, make sense of everything again. Because yeah. this online uh, social media uh, addiction that the current, current generation has is... Yeah. They, they just think everything comes with Amazon. Nobody has to do anything. All I have to do is type in. Uh, yeah. And then I get everything I want. Well, you know, the, the, the funny thing is, and I've said this before on another podcast, but uh, one, I think one of the big problems today, when, when Nancy and I got married, and uh, we got married in 1962, uh, and... We had our first child a year later, but at when at about seven months, Nancy was a registered nurse, and she had to walk away from her job at seven months. Well, the way I was brought up and my friends, once you had a kid, that was the end of your work career. <laughs> but and then we kept having kids, so uh, and. It, it was like I don't—and all of my friends was the same way. So you had a one-income family where you really had to put in some time. Today, I don't know anyone 
including all my kids. The oldest is 59, the youngest is 47. All their spouses work. And you got two-income family, and I, I know my kids have not spoiled their kids, and their kids won't spoil their our, uh, great-grandkids. But there's something about when you, if a kid doesn't work for something when, and gets that work ethic early, I, I really believe some of the parents are just spoiling them too much. They get two incomes. Uh, uh, he doesn't have to work. He's going to miss out on this or miss out on that. I think one of the most important things for a kid growing up is working, learning how to work and get responsibility. Because, uh, uh, you know, my one son, Larry, I can remember, and this would have been an this would have been in the early 80s. He uh, stopped in the motorcycle shop after school, and he asked me if he, could, he needed some new gym shoes. And he said, well, God, they've got leather gym shoes out now. I said, really? So how much are those? And he told me, and I said, well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm going to pay for your Converse non-leather gym shoes, you want leather, buy it. Put the money to it. I said, work for it. Do right. things. And and I, we, we did that with all of our kids. We never spoiled any of them. So, and, and I don't know. And that might, that's a broad-brush statement because I know a lot of people that they, they, they think their kids should work and they don't give them the candy store, but... If you go by a high school and you see some 17-year-old kid with a brand-new car, there's just something wrong there. Well, there is something to that. So on, on one hand, the two-car uh, sentiment is basically sourced in the desire for safety for the kids. Uh, I don't know how it came about, maybe because the population is so much denser that you can't really let your kids run back in the woods or to school or yeah. kindergarten themselves. I, I was walking to the kindergarten, I remember, all by myself, and sometimes it took me two hours to get home. But, yeah, almost, yeah. But, yeah. but nowadays, you can't even let them go by themselves, so you have to have a car. And, of course, how you buy that, you have to send both parents to work. That's, that's the one thing. But on the other hand, then... Uh, I, I see that too, but there is always uh, spoiled kids around. Oh, and yeah, there always what, has been. What yeah. time? And they, they, they have them today. They had them back when I was growing yeah. up. So. Yeah, but you know, even uh, kids are kids are pampered, even in the education system. <laughs> when, when I was growing up, if we had six inches of snow, there was no such thing as a snow day in school. I, I can't remember school ever closing, and I'd I'd walk. Uh, it was about oh, a little over a mile for me to go to from our house to grade school. I, you just walk in the snow. Then that's that's all there is to it. You bundle up and and do it. And, and you know, there's parts of the country. I don't know if it's still that way, but 
uh, Nashville, Tennessee, they didn't even have snow equipment. If they had a threat of snow, they'd shut everything down the next day. <laughs> so, you know, it's it, it's a different world. Yeah, it's because traffic is just so much more, and it's more risky. I remember driving to school on icy roads, and never yeah. anything happened. But I reared off once because I was a little bit too fast on that icy road. But thank goodness there was a kind of a range, so I just rode back right on the street. Yeah. So anyway, back to the Sherman. So when when you and Peyton got to Sherman and you started the renovation, if I'm not mistaken, didn't didn't you start with the kitchen and the elevator first? So the elevator is original from when we bought it. I believe it was put in like nineteen fifty. <laughs> I wouldn't want to ride on it. <laughs> but one of the specialties about this elevator is it's been modernized, and Hillrom has put a brand new elevator machine in there in 2014. I believe in order to get all the Hildebrand furniture out of there, that building was storing that family's goods. I don't know for how long, but yeah. But there is a brand new machine in there, so we didn't have to do anything with the elevator. Oh, okay. Okay. Except for having an inspection done and you know getting getting it back uh, authorized, and then we started using it. And um, and how about the kitchen? The kitchen was a different story. So that kitchen in the Sherman is how do I say that? The Sherman is a previous boarding house built in fifty two, eighteen fifty. Eighteen, I know eighteen fifty two. And uh, it, its structure has not changed much. There was an alleyway between that boarding house and the factory building that was built in 1910. <clears throat> and we bought it like that when this, this alleyway has actually been roofed off and uh, it's part of the kitchen now. So, but you have these floors, those old floors from the boarding house, there's a basement underneath. Then you have this filled up area in the alleyway and then you have those breakthroughs through the factory walls because the Hillrun company, when they still owned the Sherman, they increased the space of that kitchen and were encroaching into the factory spaces. So all the coolers that we have, all the walk-ins are in the factory area and uh, it, it needed certainly uh you know a new floor and that's what that's the first thing we put in we put in a epoxy floor that's easy to clean and not much effort and that that was starting the bases and then we put you know new equipment in there got everything lined up and then when covid hit we had another break so we did section off a second area inside the factory building where the dishwashing area is and the previous uh, uh baking kitchen we started putting that epoxy floor in there as well it's quite expensive uh, and that's why we did that and mm. not not in full uh, range of the full kitchen but it is a huge kitchen we have like three hood, hood hoods Venting, ventilation Vent, hood, hoods, yeah. Hoods. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's what, what in our kitchen, uh, we have a, 
a Garland range. It's a commercial range because we had, you know, with seven kids, I mean, it'd be nothing to put two pounds of bacon on for breakfast. And, uh, but I had to put in commercial vents or the insurance. My, I, I couldn't get any insurance because I had a commercial range in the kitchen. I couldn't put in a regular vent. So, uh, and, and that was expensive back in the 70s, so I can imagine what stuff is today just out of this world. Yeah, kitchen equipment is still very expensive, and it's, it's not just the investment price of purchasing something. You know, you can just add twice the cost of put putting it in, putting it into place, get the electrics, get get the uh, airflow all around it. You just yeah. have to to you know pay for a lot of labor to get it correctly in place, and the maintenance also is strenuous. And that's good. You know, we have yearly inspections. Sure. And, uh, well, you have to just make sure you get everything in order. In yeah. order to now, did you, after the, the kitchen was done, I, I don't remember, did you start, I think I think you start renovating the restaurant, then you put in the bar area. Cause the, the room renovations came later, didn't it? Well, the, uh, the hotel rooms came later, but at first we did the restaurant area, Alpine room. Uh, we, we left the Hilton brand space in place. This is uh, previously they called it Bismarck. And mm -hmm. We did split off an area from the banquet room and made the bar, the Black Forest bar, uh, available there. And we put new floors into all, all the rooms and uh, evened everything out. They really needed it. <laughs> You know, and it's it's carpets and food just don't fare no. very well together. So that's that really made it easier for our cleaning staff to get everything yeah. clean every night. And uh, that. Yeah. So when uh, when when did you decide? I mean, the beer garden was really a, a super addition. I mean, that is just great. But what? After that, when did you decide to do the beer hall? The beer hall we did in 2019. We decided on that beer hall because 2018 was such a year where you had these short rain spurts and we could actually not have the outside parties going as we were planning because right. only five minutes of rain ruins the whole affair the music can't really build up you know you have all the tables get <laughs> wet you have, yeah you have to have staff to run around and just clean and you can't just do that while, while you have people sitting in, in the beer garden so and since we had that factory building it was called american furniture factory yes i see that from the old pictures it was just a dusty old area with they had a document storage in there and it was all kind of stuff, a, a tool shop. It wasn't really used for anything. Boilers, water heaters. We, we redid that whole area with a minimal effort. And, uh, as you see today, we have uh, put, you know, some tables, a 50 foot long copper top bar. Jazz Kaiser made that. Oh, I know. With the, 
with the help of a stoner, real stoner. So a beautiful bar and we put that in and uh, well, we started basically in 2018 to renovate the uh, American Furniture Factory to yeah. the Beer Hall. And yeah. We turned to that name Beer Hall because the beer garden was already there. Um, it is a full restaurant, it is a full bar, and kids are welcome, and we have live music. We just had a... a well, and you got pool table. Had, we had a band out of Cincinnati on Saturday. We have uh, darts, and we have pool tables, and, uh, you know, in, when the weather is nice outside, if you play um, cornhole. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. So, like uh, how many... Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure there's a restriction on how many people were in the beer hall, but what is your seating capacity? The occupancy is uh, more than 500. How many? More than 500. Whoa, I didn't know it was that big. Yeah, it is big. It wow. Just, it just doesn't show like that because those posts, every 13 feet. <laughs> you know, they built this building to stand there for 600 years. <laughs> I know. Well, you know. And coincidentally, those beams are 13 inch by 13 inch. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about that, a friend of mine, and uh, in fact, he's one of my co hosts on my whiskey podcast, uh, Mike Spreckelson. He uh, works for, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, he's, he's a woodworking guy. Okay. And um, he was doing some work. I, I'm trying to think of the name of the town, but they were putting in new door jams. Or no, they were putting in new, I'm sorry, new doors in this church. And this church uh, goes back in the 1800s. And Weberdeen's a big part of their business is doing out-of-town work and restoring things. And I said, how, well, how about the frames? Uh, how long did it take you to you know, make the frames? And I said, the frames are perfect. <laughs> never, never been touched since. I think he said it was 1858 or something like that. that but that's how, that's how they made things back then. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, the, uh, so 500 people... It is, it, it is, the occupancy is based on the square footage. Subtract out all the poles, subtract the elevator, um, subtract the tables from that available space. So we are kind of full at 300. At three, yeah. So, okay. You know, if we take all the tables out, we probably, you know, could have a party with everybody standing and. Um, yeah, yeah. But we really can't fit more than 300 people in there. So. Yeah. But, I mean, that's still that, – and, and that's that's neat for the younger guy. We – well, with, with uh, my wife's macular degeneration, we can't, we can't do things like that. But uh, I I know uh, I know an awful lot of people love going there and the music and just well, – And it is, it is actually just so much fun. It's just so – you know, I've been working a regular job. I've never been in a row where, you know, so many people know me. And uh, 
it's just so socially rewarding. It's just such a different thing. Yeah. The atmosphere we're having in there, the uh, the flair. You know, everybody's so welcoming, and it's uh, it, it's just a pleasure. Yeah, and and you know, if 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 you look at that, I have not been too uh, comfortable in the role, but I had to just grow into that. It's just a different animal. <laughs> I came to this in a late stage of my life. Yeah. So, so yeah. I thought I'd adopt it pretty good. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, you know, that, that, hey, that's what life's all about. Little and, challenges and yeah. different things to do. And, and over time, I understand also a little bit more about the history. You know, there there's this huge parking lot. And I've learned now that these were houses 